Now, The Interpreter Show, with discussion, debate, and the latest information on all kinds of religious issues and topics. This is the Interpreter Foundation Radio Show, sponsored by LDSAgents.com. The Interpreter Foundation exists to encourage study of the gospel and faithfulness to the church by making the latest scholarship available in its journal, publishing books, holding seminars, creating documentary and feature films, and by providing roundtable discussions of the scriptures. You can find us at interpreterfoundation.org, where you can find all of our materials, including these radio shows that are posted as podcasts. And you can subscribe to this show on iTunes or through any of the other podcast apps on Apple or Android devices. If you like this show, tell your friends about us and write a review on iTunes or on your favorite site for podcast apps. I'm Steve Densley, and I'm joined in the studio by co-host Mark Johnson. Steve, it is awesome to be back on the Mighty Interpreter Radio. It is great to have you here, Mark, and Professor Matthew Bowen from BYU-Hawaii. Aloha, Steve. Aloha. Aloha. So we are headed into new territory. Um, we've uh, gone through the Come Follow Me discussions a couple of times over the past few years. And, you know, we, we talked about it internally. You know, how should we, how should we approach this now? Um, so rather than spending this hour on another Come Follow Me discussion as we've done for the last I guess eight years or so, eight or nine. I, I don't know. I don't know how long it's been, but mm. um, we decided we'd try some some new things here. So this evening, what we're going to do is is we're going to have a new segment that we'll call New Testament in Context, mm-hmm. where we're going to discuss some things about the um, the context of the lesson, uh, you know, what's happening historically or maybe textually or linguistically, um, you know, maybe intertextually, mm-hmm. you know, giving, giving people some, uh, you know, nuggets that uh, help them maybe to understand better what's going on, um, you know, culturally maybe. Um, and uh, so, you know, maybe a little bit different approach. Uh, to the same material, but, um, you know, and maybe uh, some weeks, maybe we'll take up the whole hour or, you know, maybe we'll we'll talk about some other things as well. This evening, I think we'll try to hit some other things as well, because one of the other things we're going to try to do uh, through this next year in our uh, interpreter radio show broadcast is we're, we're going to be discussing this new institute class that uh, just, I think it just started this semester, uh, this, uh, you know, winter semester 2022. It's called Answering My Gospel Questions. And uh, it's a fascinating class. My son's taking it right now, and uh, he's enjoying it. Um, it's, uh, the, the concept is, I mean, it's a great one. I, I love the concept. I thought, I've long thought we've needed this in the church. The idea is is to help equip, and in this case, their institute students, with the, the, the tools they need to approach difficult questions. So, um, you know, analytically, you know, how do you, 
how do you deal with these kinds of questions? What kind of sources should you be relying on and turning to as you're trying to answer difficult questions? Um, I mean, even socially, what should you do? So, you know, your friend comes to you and how do you respond to them? You know, what's a, a, a loving, caring, um, diplomatic way of, of responding to people when they are asking questions? You know, what if they're, uh, what if they're antagonistic? You know, how do you, how do you approach somebody who's asking you, questions in that light or in that spirit. Um, so uh, I understand that uh, last week um, the uh, the panel discussed lesson number one. We're going to be talking about lesson number two tonight. It's entitled Learning Together as the Peaceable Followers of Jesus Christ. Um, you know, I thought maybe where it would start, though, this is something we still want to do every week as, you know, as much as we can, is call attention to the kinds of things that are going on with the Interpreter Foundation. Uh, this last Friday, there was a new article published in the journal. It's by Lauren Spendlove. We had Lauren on a couple of months ago talk about uh, another article he wrote. This one is called Rethinking the Encounter Between Jacob and Sherem. And when we say rethinking, um, boy, as I recall, there maybe been uh, another one or two articles in the Interpreter Journal this last uh, year or two that are talking about this interaction between Jacob and Sherem. And really, I think the reason for that is that there was, uh, there was an article that Adam Miller published um, on behalf of the Maxwell Institute. It's called Reading Signs or Repeating Symptoms. Um, it's in uh, Christ and Antichrist, Reading Jacob 7. And Adam Miller, um, you know, he, he kind of I, I don't I don't want to be unfair to his argument, but in some sense he's uh, kind of taking Jacob to task um, in his interpretation of this interaction, you know, suggesting that Jacob is maybe not um, approaching this in the most Christ-like fashion in his in his interactions with Sherem, um, the, the first Antichrist in the in the Book of Mormon. Um, so there's been, um, like I said, at least one or two other responses to Adam Miller's article on that. Um, but this one, uh, this one's another, uh, response. And one of the, uh, one of the arguments that, um, well, you know, th- this is not just something that Adam Miller does, but um, it's it, it's something that uh, people have recognized for for quite a while. I want to I want to say John Sorensen maybe mentioned it, but this idea that Sherem comes from uh, outside the group. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this, this phrase that you know there came among the Nephites, you know, a man named Sherem, and and so the the idea here is that. Um, there are other groups, there are other people in the vicinity, and that, uh, you know, this guy named Sherem was not a Nephite, and that he happens to wander into town and, you know, is looking around for Jacob, wants to take him on and, and explain to him how he hasn't been uh, following the law correctly. Um, it's an interesting it's an interesting concept in the sense that it uh, lends credence to the idea that there were other people here before the Nephites right, came. And that's, that's something I definitely agree with. Yeah, and, that, and, and so it lends credence to that idea, but it's problematic, too, because how is it that you've got this guy that, that knows the language so well and knows the law of Moses and, and so, so well? so fluent in the, in the <laughs> customs of the Nephites, yeah. Yeah, and so I think— He I, has to have access to text. Uh-huh. And that is something that um, 
a lot of these arguments don't deal with. And I know Brant Gardner dealt with that in his uh, six-volume commentary on the Book of Mormon. He um, suggested that uh, Sherem was kind of a hired gun um, by some of the, the local groups to go and um, try to, you know, take uh, Jacob out of out of power or at least, you know, shame him um, to, to improve on, on their local you know, situation, you know, from a, a socioeconomic kind of point of view where the Nephites had, you know, kind of, been, you know, taken over the land and, you know, kind of like the arguments against the, the early Mormons, how they were, you know, going in and taking over lands and the, the votes and the political power. And you know, Gardner's argument was uh, kind of similar to what people had argued about the early, early members of the church. The Nephites were just too powerful, so they sent this hired gun in to kind of put the Nephites in their, in their place. And they, um, but like we said, it doesn't, you know, there's, there's, it's problematic for, for that to happen. Well, what Lauren Spenlove does is he uses a uh, comparative scriptural analysis when he's looking at that, you know, that phrase about, you know, coming among, you know, um, the people, you know, there, there came many prophets or Abinadi came among them. Um, you know, when you start looking at where, this concept appears in other instances, it doesn't necessarily mean that somebody hasn't been a part of the group before um, and that he's, you know, coming from outside the group. Um, and, and because of these other problems, you know, how is it that he knows the language so well? How is it that he knows the scriptures so well? Um, I think that, uh, you know, Brother Spenlove's convinced me that— um, that we're not talking about somebody who's a non-Nephite. Yeah, and he... I, goes, I agree with you. Yeah. I, I felt like... Uh, and he offers uh, six other examples of this in the Book of Mormon, the the, the formula of, um, you know, a, a time frame, and then someone coming among them, and then the a spoken communication. Uh, I thought that was extremely well done. I, I thought it was one of the most per- persuasive parts of his argument. Well, and then he moves on to um, something that's kind of connected where, uh, you know, Sherm appears, and then, you know, it says that he sought much opportunity to converse with, with Jacob. Um, and so, uh, you know, Adam Miller uses this to suggest that, you know, Sherm's searching and searching, trying to talk with the prophet, and the prophet's just kind of evading him and, you know, not making himself available to talk to people. Um, you know, and Brother Spendlove points out that, you know, that, that's not necessarily the only way to interpret this, this, this idea of, you know, seeking much opportunity um, to, to talk with Jacob, that, um, you know, it it may be that it's meaning that he did talk with Jacob many times, and you know that he sought much opportunity. It's like he took every opportunity he could get, and he and he did it. He did speak with Jacob many times, um, which makes more sense too when you think about how small this community would have had to have been. Uh-huh. Jacob is the younger brother of Nephi, for Pete's sake. You know, it's this. This can't be a you know a huge metropolis where it's really hard to find somebody. No, this is still just an extended family at this point. You know, and I mean, even even if they join in with a pre-existing group, you know, it's uh, it still seems pretty unlikely that he just couldn't find Jacob and he's searching for him everywhere. Um, you know, and so. Uh, you know, that's another another point that I think uh, Lauren Spenlove makes pretty persuasively that um, that uh, this is not 
this this shouldn't be read to mean that Sherem is just trying to find Jacob any way you can and just can't find him. Uh, rather, this seems to indicate that, you know, when he sought much opportunity to, to discuss with him, that, that they did discuss these things on many occasions. Um, talks about Sherem's right way, you know, that um, Sherem's, you know, talking about, you know, uh, you know, that Jacob's fallen out of the right way and that he's trying to correct the, you know, the, the trying to right the ship. Um, you know, that following the law of Moses and uh, rejecting the doctrine of Christ, this stands in direct opposition to Nephi's preaching of the right way, which was to believe in Christ and deny him not. Um, so it's it's kind of this uh, placing at odds the law of Moses to, um, you know, Christ and um, suggesting that uh, believing in, you know, the Savior, believing in Jesus Christ is not in the right way, you know, and that Sherem is, you know, suggesting that uh, Jacob's fallen off the, you know, fallen off the boat and that uh, he's there to write the course, make sure that everybody is uh, going in the right way. Yeah, it's a lot like what Laman and Lemuel would have believed where, you know, the the salvation came by the law and, you know, there there wasn't uh, necessarily a place for a, a Redeemer in the future, this, this you know, coming Messiah. Right. Well, and uh, another point is made is that while Sherem relied on his power of speech, um, according to the power of the devil, Jacob was able to confound him using the power of the Spirit of God. Uh, that Jacob, and this is this is something that uh, Professor Bowen has, um, you know, uh, he, he talks about a lot. Is uh, you know, in different in different uh, places of the Book of Mormon that uh, there's probably repetitive wordplay um, in his retelling of Sharon's story here, um, you know, where you see some of the same kinds of, you know, same words and words that are similar, that have the same kinds of sounds, um, you know, that uh, shows a, a poetic element of the, uh, the story. Um, and then just as Moses performed signs for the elders of Israel, Sherem may have felt entitled to a sign. You know, it, it, there are times when God gives his people signs, but Christ has uh, said that we shouldn't seek after them. Um, you know, if God sees fit to uh, provide a sign, then that sometimes happens. Um, and uh, so in this case, Jared's seeking after it, um, you know, it's it, the... Uh, the ultimate result is that Sherem is, is cut off by his, you know, sign-seeking and hard-heartedness. And then finally, Jacob structured the last half of Sherem, the story, in a series of parallel structures. Um, it helps to, to contrast the, uh, the retelling of the events surrounding the Antichrist Sherem. Um, so, uh, interesting article. Commend that to our readers. We've got a uh, call coming in from Bob from Idaho. Hello, uh, talking with Bob from Idaho. This is the Interpreter Foundation Radio Show. Do you have a question or comment for us, Bob? Well, the first one was, <laughs> I didn't know if it was live or you. You're on uh, live. Ah, <laughs> anyways, you, you meant you were talking earlier, you know, when you're trying to share the gospel with somebody or to whether you're formally doing so. It's it's interesting to read read the comment. Now, I was in a circumstance uh, as an investigator, and uh, uh, there's an interesting thing in, in Moroni when he said, 
talking uh, about this sort of thing. And, uh, of course, he's given us counsel from the Lord. And it, uh, the statement is, uh, well, I'll just have to shoot, shoot at it from the hemispheres and uh, uh, paraphrase it. But it's just more or less, you know, when you receive these things, if there's a great big if in there, if it be wisdom in God, in short, uh, uh, I used to have a, a good friend in junior high that I was not LDS. Uh, my mother was a, uh, Episcopal, inactive, and it was during World War Two, and they had a um, service organization, and, and they used to uh, meet trains and pass out cookies and and all the troop trains, that is, and, and all this sort of thing. And, I mean, they were very active in their own church. And my dad uh, was uh, from northern Idaho, and just he went to the local Christian church, that's what they called him. Whether or not it had an affiliation with any uh, uh, organized religion or not, I don't know. But, but in any case, uh, that was my background on the whole thing. And I was encouraged to go to the Presbyterian Church when I was a ten year old and because it was the closest one. And, you know, we got along all right. But I never did bother getting baptized by them. Folks asked that I not make any commitments with them until I get older. But the thing about it is Maloney makes it the the principle clear that it's not wisdom in in God that the people receive uh a spiritual witness of truth after they receive it. And I used to tell my friend Carl when I was younger, and and he would uh, bounce his LDS beliefs off of me, and, you know, he'd say, I know it's true. And I'd say, Carl, I know you believe this is true, but I don't. I have no feeling one way or the other on it. And just leave it set. Because there'll be a time in people's lives, especially as they learn more and more truth. In short, when you're working with somebody, and I know we're probably talking to people out there that probably are antagonized by being pushed, and it can work negatively. But anyway, just read that piece out of our own eye, that if it be wisdom in God... You know that you do receive these things, Bob. I like that a lot. One of the things, them. but that, anyway, I just wanted to throw that in there and appreciate uh, that. But I, more, more than that, I just want to see if this live show or not, guys. Uh, yeah. Yep, okay. Well, thank cool. thank you for your comment, Bob. Appreciate that. You, you betcha, and, and appreciate having live shows. <laughs> thank you. Bye no bye. Bye bye. One of the things I liked about Bob's comment was that. Um, you know, you mentioned just about searching and having and looking for wisdom, and I think that's what Brother Spendlove um, has uh, presented us with. I think you know he, he showed us uh, just a better or a simpler way to read um, this Jacob story with Jacob and Sherem, um, and by realizing that you know the episode that um, Jacob records here in this chapter is just um, one episode in an ongoing um, an ongoing series. 
it gives us you know a, a better way to look at it and i think it makes a lot of the uh you know textual problems and, and understandings um, that we've had um kind of disappear you know the the need for um somebody from the outside um you know to come and antagonize the nephites that that all goes away you know once we you know get a, a little better reading about it yeah well uh professor bowen uh you have any uh, other comments on lauren spedlove's article before we move on i i just thought it was um a very close reading and um when you read as carefully as he's done here it it yields some really significant insights so i i enjoyed it as a you know i i think he argues his case really well um all the way along and i think it's uh, a very insightful a uh, very insightful article well, the name of the article is Rethinking the Encounter Between Jacob and Sherem. You can find it online at the interpreterfoundation.org at our journal website. Let's move now to a discussion of the Answering My Gospel Questions lesson. It's lesson number two, Learning Together as the Peaceable Followers of Jesus Christ. Mark, what is the, um, what's the, the goal, what's the objective of this lesson? Um, the objective of the lesson is to um, discuss things as being, well, a, a peaceable follower of Christ. One of the things that I've really tried to apply to my life and my interaction with um, everyone is to have um, you know, no contention or hard feelings um, with anyone I'm talking to. Um, and I want that because I want the spirit um, to be able to flow freely you know, between all of us in our in our discussions, um, if we can have the spirit with us, we can rely on it to be our teacher, and that's one of the the main point of this uh, this lesson. Um, it's kind of setting up the the classroom to discuss um, tricky topics, but also have the the spirit with us. Um, it, it does not necessarily. Um, Gonna, gonna, you know, say one thing is right and one thing is wrong. Um, you know, certainly a lot of the the questions that I'm sure that people have have a lot of nuance to them. But if we can discuss them in, a, in an uplifting way, I think we can all be uh, all be edified together. Um, one of the things I've been impressed with this discussion is its emphasis on um, feeling safe asking difficult questions. That's one of the things that um, comes up in I know my. Um, Ward's elders quorum class, you know, time and again, is how do we how do we discuss things and you know feel safe about about discussing them? How do we you know make sure we have the the spirit with us? Well, and some of these questions can be pretty hard. I I like how the lesson manual doesn't shy away from that. The example that it uses is a young man you know named Marcel who raises his hand and says. Do you think the church will eventually change its position on gay marriage? Before the teacher can respond, a class member forcefully states, Of course not. Do you really think God changes his laws just because of trends in society? Suddenly another person speaks up and with anger counters, I think you're wrong. How do you know what God will do in the future? Maybe you shouldn't be so close-minded. 
as Marcel listens to this exchange, he regrets answering asking the question. So you know, I, that's a very that, that's a, a really great w- real world example of the kinds of it things is, yeah. that are you know we're, we're dealing with, especially on college campuses and, and high schools, mm-hmm. where um, you know those. I, I think one of the most commendable things about the youth today is that they don't want to hurt other people's feelings no you know they don't want to make people feel bad they don't want to make people feel judged um you know and so in some instances they may shy away from asking some of these questions or from dealing dealing with them Uh head on um I, i i love how this lesson is intended to help them to sort through how can i have an important discussion like this in a way that maintains civility and goodwill among the people who are discussing these problems because yeah, exactly. we, we can't we can't just avoid um, discussing difficult issues we need to be able to um, address them in a way that uh, maintains um, good feelings among friends and and family members mm-hmm. uh, so there, there are a number of different um, uh, what do they call the micro trainings that uh, are, are included with this um, with this lesson? So, micro training number four: how to reframe difficult or sensitive topics from an eternal perspective. You know, and so that's I, even the, the the name of that micro training itself. I think is a suggestion on um, how to approach those kinds of questions mm-hmm, exactly. is to try to reframe them from an eternal perspective. Uh, micro training number five: How to be an active listener. Uh, one of the most important things I think when people are asking these kinds of questions, you know, they probably have their own, you know, opinions about it. Um, you, 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 I think it's very, really helpful to um, to find out how they feel about it and what they're thinking. Oh, absolutely. You know, and to help them to feel understood and um, you know uh, that that it's that it, it is an important question and that that um, it's it's legitimate it's uh, acceptable to to wonder and ask about these you know difficult topics yeah and i think one of the the things that um, at least i hope to do with this uh, the series throughout this year is to you know maybe just be a little more aware of um, the questions that people ask um, you know put some nuance to them and you know, maybe see if there's a question behind the question. I had a, a friend of mine discussing with me some years ago about, you know, what would happen if, you know, the the 12 and the, the first presidency were all on the same plane and it went down, you know, what would happen to the, the leadership of the church? And as we kind of teased it out a little bit, I realized that wasn't the actual question. It wasn't necessarily about um, the logistics of the leadership. It was about whether or not um, God was the head of the church. Interesting. So until you probed a little bit, you might not have understood that that's where they're coming from. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Professor Bowen, what, what do you think? I mean, what, what do you do in your classroom uh, to help foster a feeling uh, the, of safety that people can ask difficult questions? And then also, what do you do to help maintain an air of you know, civility and mutual respect when difficult questions do arise? One of the things I've I've found effective, um, even going back to my time before, I was a uh, um, you know in religious education here at BYU Hawaii, and before 
uh, as an adjunct teacher at BYU in Provo was um, I, I, I taught Sunday school in a uh, inner city ward in Washington, D.C. And one of the things I, I found that, that's worked really well um, for many years now is making sure people that I, when people ask the, a question, you know, that I acknowledged that it was, you know, a, a, the worth of the question, or, you know, even if you can't, you never want to be dismissive about it. You want to acknowledge the worth of the question and then, um, you know, help people then see, you know, how it can lead into greater insight on the topic. Um, one of the things I've also experienced in um, the course of my time as a religious educator is you can never let the um, your classroom become a debate floor. Um, it just it isn't the place for it. It will those scriptures that are in this lesson, um, you know, beginning with Proverbs fifteen one and um, going all the way through you know, highlight the importance of there not being contention in the atmosphere. The minute there is contention or a spirit of debate, then the spirit's not going to be there in a way that where people will feel safe to um, raise questions or share their, their, their thoughts and insights. So you have to to be, you know, you can't ever be dismissive when questions come up. You do, and when people give thoughts, you need to um, affirm or acknowledge what is good about them, even if not, even if everything they say isn't correct or um, right. You, you, there are ways. You mentioned a. a a minute ago, the the idea of framing or reframing, that that's a that takes some um, practice to to be able to help people frame things in a way where then you can build a um, a, edif- a you know a, a doctrin- doctrinally correct and edifying uh, conversation on it. Yeah, and you know one of the things that's great about this lesson manual too is I mean the way that you say you say that it takes practice. Um I, I really like how the lesson encourages uh walking through some examples and you know let's uh let's see you know how we can handle this kind of a situation. Uh so micro training number 9 is how to be bold but not overbearing when discussing the gospel. I mean and, and of course that's um that's a that's a good uh, lesson in itself that we should be bold but not overbearing. Um and so give some examples uh, you know, that we, we should avoid overclaiming, we should avoid underclaiming, and, and it says that we avoid or, or that we do overclaim when we assert knowledge beyond what the Lord has revealed, both ancient and modern prophets. We underclaim when we present the basic truths of the gospel in ways that are unclear or tentative or uncertain. 
And then we're being dogmatic when we express our opinions as if they were indisputable facts and are intolerant of ambiguity when there are not clear answers. But we're timid when we fail to stand up for what we know to be true. And, you know, it suggests that if we don't know an answer, that the best response is to say something like, I'm not sure, I don't know, or good question, let's learn more about that together. Um, you know, I found that, uh, you know, in my experience, I remember uh, you know, as early as my freshman year in, in high school and seminary, uh, really appreciating a seminary teacher who would say, I don't know, and being really skeptical of those seminary teachers that always had an answer right at the tip of their tongue, uh, you know, and, and, and then maybe I'd, I'd go up to them after and say, well, you know, so where, where is that coming from? Well, you know, well I, I, you know, I'll get you the source. And then I'd never get the source for yeah. it, right? Um, so the ones that would say, I don't know, uh, I just, so, so that did two things, I think. One is that helped me to be more confident in that, professor or teacher, you know, uh-huh. seminary teacher, when they gave me an answer, I, I would feel more confident that this is coming from a, a place of, of authority because they tell me when they don't know. Uh, but then also it uh, gave me confidence, too, that you can maintain faith in the church and the gospel even if you don't know all the answers, right. you know, that it's not necessary to, to know everything, that you can still be learning and growing um, and still maintain confidence in the, the church and its leaders. Um, but just to you know, give an example of this, uh, they, they have a number of different examples in this micro-training, but here, here's a short one that will give our listeners an idea of how this can be approached. So a statement someone might make is, yes, I believe the Book of Mormon is true. It has some good teachings, but everyone has their own truths. So I wouldn't say it's more valuable than any other book you could read. Uh, so the problem with this statement is that it underclaims the importance and power of the Book of Mormon, and it presents the Book of Mormon in a timid way, mm-hmm. uh, which is easy to do these days, right? Where if you know if you if you're really concerned about hurting people's feelings, you don't sure, want to look, sure. sound judgmental, you don't want to sound dogmatic. No, and so there's this um, you know maybe tendency maybe to overcorrect and come across as timid and, and underclaim, and so what it suggests is to reframe. The issue and the statement that they suggest here is, yes, I believe the Book of Mormon is true. I believe it is the Word of God. Along with the Bible, it is a powerful witness of Jesus Christ. It teaches eternal truths that can change your life. And so, you know, I think that uh, this is this is a good example of how to state things in a way that is non-threatening to someone else, doesn't uh, invalidate um, what they're saying. Um, you know, it, it doesn't underclaim, and it's not timid. Um, so it's like you say, Professor Bowen, I think that, you know, some of these things take some practice, and, um, and, and I think that, um, you know, modeling can help as we try to learn how to do this, you know, showing people. Um, you know, I'll tell you, sometimes on Facebook, there are some people that I think handle issues like this really well, you know, that I've, I've tried to model myself after, and, you know, how, how are they dealing with this and then lots of examples of people that don't handle it well right no <laughs> um anyway uh are any other comments on on this uh lesson professor bowen or, or mark I, yeah i would just say i i really appreciated what you said about um the seminary teacher who um modeled um epi- epistemological humility 
the idea that you know we if he didn't if he didn't know he didn't claim that he knew I, I've tried to help my students um, throughout the years know it's it's okay not to have every answer. You know, there it, the more you think about the the gospel of Jesus Christ, the more you think about the 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 God we worship. The more you think about the Savior, the more you think about the the universe, the nature of the you know the existence that we are in, the more questions you're going to have. And um, it, it's unrealistic to think that our our answers are always going to keep pace with the number of questions that we, we can have. So it's okay not to have all the answers, but it's, but it's also important to know that there is a, a source for all truth. And one of the most important things the prophet Joseph Smith learned through the experience of the the first vision and and the unfolding restoration was that you can get answers to difficult questions on you know the on the most sensitive and important of doctrinal and theological subjects and we have to teach our students that um, what that source is and and how to uh, approach um that that source in the right way and then to to be patient in in waiting and and looking for answers i I think that's one of the most important things that sometimes we fail to to teach is that um revelation um never comes on our own time timetable but it, it comes on god's but he has promised us that as we ask him in faith that in his own time, in his own way, we, we get the answers to the the questions that we're seeking. Um, some questions we'll have to wait a long time on. Um, there, you know, I have a, a bookshelves full of questions, but, um, you know, I, I have the, the test, you know, a testimony that um, of the reality of God and of the reality of the Savior and his atonement and with that foundation in place, um, you know some of the, the some of these questions. You know, I'm I'm willing to wait a little while for. Well, this lesson for does answers. a good job, I think, of of raising the issues. You know, and and how uh, helping students understand how they can engage in discussions of doctrine, policies, history of the church in a way uh, that shows respect and kindness and Christ-like love. Uh, to the participants of the discussion. This Again, this is uh, from the Institute course, Answering My Gospel Questions. This is lesson number two, Learning Together as the Peaceable Followers of Jesus Christ. We'll talk about uh, these, uh, some of these lessons, and then uh, we'll, we'll go into some difficult gospel questions uh, later in uh, the year, and, and that's the, the model for this, um, uh, this Institute course. Is, you know, they have some uh, lessons that set up uh, some of the, the, the principles that uh, we should follow, and um, then lets the students choose some uh, difficult issues and uh, try to uh, you know practice discussing these and, and studying them, trying to find answers for themselves. Uh, so we want to try to uh, you know supplement that material on the radio show, and we'll be doing that uh, throughout the rest of the year. I'm looking forward to that. That'll be fun. 